between 80 and 90% of people will experience debilitating back pain at some point, at in, some their point in their life. And so it's just such a high percentage of people. It's such a vital area in our body that is, you know, it, it's responsible for the energy transfer from our lower body through our core into our upper body. It's such a complex dynamic area with our interplay of our core and our ribs and our breath and our pelvic floor and our diaphragm and like yeah there's just a lot going on there so there's no surprise that that place becomes vulnerable for for injury or pain what is happening everyone welcome back to your favorite podcast the great eye podcast i am your host justin mihaley and today I have Dr. Jen and Dr. Dom with over 20 years of combined experience. They are passionate physical therapist duo, empowering patients to reclaim their bodies, move freely again. They have a profound ability to connect with patients on an empathetic level, and they have helped thousands find relief from chronic pain through their social media channels and sold out courses. Dr. Jen, Dr. Dom have built an engaged community of over 700,000 combined followers who rave about their blend of empathy, encouragement, and clinical knowledge, which is showcased deeply in this podcast. They're a beacon of hope and trust the leaders capable of uplifting even folks in the darkest of places when pain and immobility take hold of their life. I am honored to welcome the remarkable impact they have made to the Grow or Die podcast. Without further ado, Dr. Jin, Dr. Dom, Grow or Die, welcome. Dominic, you had a post that I absolutely loved reading recently. You discussed how everyone is an athlete. Hey, so I call all of my clients athletes. Like, I don't care if you've got 100 pounds to lose. I'm like, you're an athlete. It was, um, you do the hip stretch. You know which one I'm talking about? You're doing the hip stretch. It looks super complex. Like, I definitely cannot come close to doing that. But you broke it down into ways like anyone can begin on their journey towards achieving that level of hip mobility. Because, well, most people are like me. And, like, if they were in that position, they would just freaking snap. Like, I don't even want to see what would happen. But I want you to talk about, well, one, your mobility is insanely impressive. Number two, What's the mindset work? Dominique, I want you to go first since it was your post. And then, Jen, I would absolutely love to hear from you. What's the mindset work that you're doing with your clients? Like, buy into believing that they're an athlete. Because they are. You're you're absolutely right in what you say. We're all athletes. I mean, I think that's a super important concept to start with because so many people will look at their lives and not understand the importance of getting in the gym and lifting heavy shit. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. being able to get up Mm -hmm. and down from the ground or why hip mobility Mm -hmm. is actually important to them. It just doesn't compute for a lot of people who work in certain areas or somebody who might just be a stay at home mom. Like that's BS because to be a stay at home mom or to take care of children, arguably now being eight months into parenting ourselves is one of the most athletic endeavors that you will encounter to be doing carries I mean, if you break down into what you would do in the gym, you're doing unbalanced carries for three to four hours a day. You're getting up and down from the ground 50 to 100 times. You're doing squats and lunges and deadlifts over and over and over again. Yeah, it might be with a 10-pound to a 40-pound child, but that's when people start to notice, oh, shit, my body can't handle this type of activity. 
And that's what your athleticism needs to entail. So, I mean, we like to approach it from the person's, you know, own perspective, from what's important in their life. It's always like, like Simon Sinek says in his find your why or what's your why book. Like, what is your why to that stay at home mom? It is to be able to be active, to be able to be that example and get down and play with their kid because that's the most fulfilling for them. So we try to really dig into what's fulfilling to the individual and that then makes the stretches or the lifts or whatever it is that's in their program for that day important to them. And I think it's important mindset switch too for like a woman to understand because I think what used to be the thing for females to work out is like don't lift more than 10 pounds and you do like your cutesy little, you know, workouts. And yet that person who's lifting just the 10 pound weights is now carrying a grocery bag in one hand and a 30 pound child in the other hand and saying like that's what you're supposed to be able to do. So then they end up with back pain and all these different injuries because they haven't properly prepared their body. So I think, you know, starting to get this mindset shift around what functional really is for you is so incredibly important. But they don't want guns like Justin. If a woman had the arms that I have, I would be a little freaked out about her. You guys said something beautiful. Um, What's fulfilling to the individual? I absolutely love that. I've been in this bodybuilding niche for a very long time and bodybuilders have their head in the sand of like, (laughs) drain hard, get huge. Like we don't need to be functional. Like everything hurts, just deadlift and squat, whatever. All right. That's like, that's just the wrong way to go about fitness. And then the hard part, the hard part is the influence at the top is so big. Um, The bodybuilding niche is super small. When you see some of these insane physiques, the day-to-day people, like the folks you're working with, they'll follow them. And all they ever see is these girls that they would love to look like in the gym all the time, yada, yada. But they're not doing like more functional, quote unquote, style movements. Although obviously in the gym, there's a ton of functionality there, but I think everyone knows what I'm talking to when I refer to as that. We still have to have... a mental operation that's like, hey, do I even like doing this? Mm-hmm. Like these, these, the people you look up to and like say bodybuilding or who have your goal physique for a lot of these people, they've been in the gym six days a week for eight years. If you don't love the gym like that, then how are you going to look up to this person? How are you going to look up to something you don't even want to actually do? So do you actually want to look like that? And there's a transition period, like when you go out of focusing on such hyper muscularity that you're like, oh shit, like I can't run. I can't jump. Like I've completely lost the ability to do these things. <clears throat> Finding what's fulfilling to the individual, Dominique, I've had a trouble in the clients that have come to me that don't necessarily want to bodybuild. They just want to be, you know, lifestyle clients, which is absolutely amazing. They, they don't know what that looks like. Because they're so lost in this world of, I just need to train. I need to exercise. How do you guys go about helping these people find what's actually fulfilling to them? Like, do you have a chart that you go down? Do you look at their history of like, did you used to play sports? Do you encourage them to get involved in intramurals? Like, I would love to hear what y'all are doing. Like asking for a friend, AKA me, because like I'm struggling with this with some of my athletes. So Dominique, you first. And then uh, Jen, I would love to hear from you after that. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question. And 
<clears throat> I think one of the biggest challenges, again, kind of referring to my first answer of like, how do you help people find that? And, and I think, especially with what we do, like we don't work with anybody one-on-one. So really we're not doing a lot of that discovery directly with them. And the way we have our programs built out are, out are really self-directed. So a lot of what we do is trying to help somebody when they dive into that first bit of content, feel something. And I think when someone feels something different in their body, that's when it starts to click. Um, and it's, it's relatively intangible because once we help somebody open up their hips or something in a way that they say, oh, I just realized I'm not having that knee pain anymore when I get up off the toilet. Like you never knew that getting up off the toilet was important to you until you started to realize you don't have knee pain anymore when you're doing it. <laughs> right, right. Okay, Jen, real, real quick. So I have to ask you, Jen, that's got, I mean, that's gotta be so cool. Like you open, you help someone open up their hips and they come back to you. Like I, I've had knee pain for a year and it's gone after one or two or however many sessions it's, I mean, Jen, that has to feel insane. It is absolutely insane. I mean, to go from working in person with people and being able to see a little bit more of those tangibles of what's happening. I mean, we've even been you know, in a session with someone barely doing anything, but working on the basics, which is breath work. And all of a sudden back pain I've had for 10 years gone, you know, something like really incredible that they've been going through. And yet we don't get to necessarily see that anymore when we're working, you know, when people are working through our programs. However, we do get the feedback. Someone reached out a couple of weeks ago. I'm on the floor crying because all of a sudden there's no more pain going on in my body. And I've just done a week, you know, versus someone who it took six months to get there by working through our plan. So we see like all spectrums of the impact that it makes on people. But the fact that I'm not there necessarily working on you, nor am I telling you, you have to do this. You're going in and choosing to do it yourself. And I think that's the coolest part about receiving the feedback that we get is knowing that they're actually working through it themselves and they're getting the results. That's what is like the most fulfilling thing. And to add to that a little bit, I think when pain's at play or when, or when people have been having pain for so long, kind of to your point, Justin, like they lose track of what's important and the pain starts to become that identity. Yeah. The pain is important to me, mm. you know, like I just have a life of pain. I don't even know what I enjoy anymore because day in and day out, it's just me kind of waffling back and forth with my relationship with pain. And I think it's once you start to peel back the layers of pain to some degree that those other things start to fill in that void that that pain then leaves uh, in your life. And I think that something that when I was seeing clients in person that I would kind of pose to them is just like list off for me quickly without thinking too hard the three times recently that you remember having the most fun or that you remember having the most enjoyment. And usually it brings out something that has to do with important relationships to them, whether it was something with family or mm -hmm. friends, there's usually activity involved, whether it was being at a beach, walking in the sand, you know, walking on a boardwalk, meeting up with someone for coffee and they need to sit in the car for 10 minutes and then go and, and sit at a restaurant. But now those activities are a little bit clouded by the pain that's in their life. That's fascinating. Yes, yes. 
pain starts causing you to say no to social endeavors and starts saying, making you say no to the things that you enjoy doing. Talk to me about the relationship with pain. It fascinates me as I'm sure it does you guys as well, although you work much more with it, people just adapt to pain and they just allow it to persist and be present in their body. Um, so can I, either of you, um, first from like a neuro perspective, maybe you don't know and that's perfectly okay. I don't know. And I'm supposed to be some sort of expert in something. I'm not quite sure what, still trying to figure that out. <laughs> What's going on? Like, you're in pain and then all of a sudden you've just dealt with it for so long <laughs> that you like forget that you're in pain and it's like blending in with your day-to-day -day life. Like wh what, what's happening there on a neurological perspective or a psychological perspective? Do you guys have any idea? I mean, so pain isn't interpreted unless the brain is saying and signaling that we have pain. So typically that happens from an initial injury. Um, initially we have something happen to the tissue that sends the signal that we have pain. However, it doesn't okay. always just have to be that structural issue or that tissue damage that signals to the brain that we have pain because pain in and of itself is a protective mechanism. So mm -hmm. I, I really would love the relationship around pain to change from pain is bad and scary and I need to stop everything I'm doing to pain is a signal of my body talking to me, just like my stomach grumbles when I'm hungry. I yawn when I'm tired. So when I'm feeling that pain, what am I neglecting? Am I not moving enough? Am I super stressed? Am I not sleeping enough? Am I like something is happening that my nerves are a bit more sensitive, especially if it wasn't like an initial accident. You didn't just fall, you didn't get in a car accident, you didn't have something happen. So especially in those senses, when pain is just kind of constant and coming on, there's something else happening that we're neglecting, whether that is our baseline moving into mobility in different ways, strengthening in different ways. And again, am I not refueling my body with sleep, with nutrients, with hydration that all play a role in how that signaling happens as well. So changing the relationship with pain, I think is so incredibly important. I know you want to add. Well, no, I mean, I think you laid it out perfectly there. There are so many different mechanisms that will elevate. So like if our nervous system rests here, say it's resting at zero and we feel pain when we get to a hundred, you know, there's so many ways that our nerves can sense things that will get us up to that point of a hundred. Jen mentioned something that's physical or mechanical. You know, there's chemical stressors. There's so many different things that our nerves are sensing that will start to raise that level just a little bit. And the people who start to experience chronic pain or persistent pain disorders, they don't rest at a zero, they rest at a 99, you know? So a strong breeze, you know, comes by and it flares up their back pain because they, they have very little buffer to get them over that threshold. Um, it's kind of funny to me because people who aren't in pain don't quite understand a lot of these concepts. I was going through some YouTube comments on one of our more popular YouTube videos, which is on costochondritis, and it, which is essentially rib pain, right? It's when you, okay. your ribs get inflamed and you feel a lot of pain. When you're breathing. And there was this comment from this guy saying, all these people are crazy. 
anxiety doesn't cause pain, you know? And he kind of went on a little bit of a, you know, he went on a little bit of a ramble that I didn't appreciate. So I, I had, I had, I had my response for him that I'll, I'll leave at that. But anxiety. Good. Definitely good. I'm raised, glad you responded to it. <laughs> right, right. I very kindly and thoughtfully and compassionately responded. To him. But like anxiety brings up that threshold. Yes. The weather, it being cold, you'll, you'll hear so commonly, you'll hear people who tend to be older or, or have different like joints that are very arthritic. They say, oh, it's going to be cold. Like my knees are starting to act up like that impacts that threshold. So there are so many things that start to, you know, impact this pain threshold that we hold. And then to your point, like people who just decide to start living with it. I think a lot of that comes from the frustration of. I've tried everything. Yeah. I've gone to this provider. I've gone to this provider. I've had this injection. People have adjusted, manipulated me, given me, and you know, all these things to rub or put on my area of pain, put on my knee, put on my back, and it just hasn't helped. So there's nothing out there that's going to help me. And it kind of, kind of comes from this learned helplessness, which again, <laughs> impacts that threshold when we start to have more of a helpless, stressed feeling surrounding that pain it only is going to perpetuate those pain patterns that our brain and our nervous system start to ingrain. <laughs> yes. Yes. I want to ask a question popped into <clears throat> mind. Pain threshold is it's something that when I was coming up in athletics, you would constantly talk about like, what's your pain threshold? Like how long can you hold this wall sit or whatever yeah. it is pain threshold as an adult, obviously, if you're not doing like some sort of physical labor, you're not an athlete. It's I'm not quite understanding if that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing to have, or is your set pain threshold different than your body's just responding to pain because it has no choice, but to respond to pain in order for you to continue thriving in this life. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, and that's where it is going to be so individual and different for each person. And it's not about how much pain you can necessarily feel and tolerate, but it's more mm -hmm. so of like, what is the threshold level that your body, you know, you start adding in, your boss is mad at you, you have your kids screaming, you like all of these things start to creep up and the pain, it becomes overwhelming that you can't even, it's not something that you are necessarily trying to control anymore or trying to push past. It's just like, I, I have so much stimulus coming into my body on the outside that I can't control. And all of a sudden my pain is a lot more intense. Like, for example, I remember when I was first getting into this pain science world as a PT, um, <laughs> I <laughs> I like that that little dance. <laughs> um, I was I was I got in a car accident and everything was fine. It was like a little bumper, but it it sucks. Like oh dang it, I got in a little car accident. And immediately when I got in that accident, again everyone was fine. I was fine. Car was a little little damaged, but my right shoulder blade was like bing and like blew up and and I was like, oh wow, that hurts. But it's because I'm stressed because I just got in a car accident that I don't want to deal with. And so that's why I'm feeling this pain. And the moment I acknowledged it, it went away. And so, and because I wasn't in damage, it's not like I got a whiplash. It's not like I hurt my body. Nothing physically was done to me. It was just that my threshold within my body 
was so high that it was like sending all the signals out. It was just too overwhelmed. So I got this feeling of sensation of pain, but it wasn't a structural problem. It wasn't a tissue damage. It was a stressor that caused the pain. And the moment I acknowledged it, the moment it went away. And that's what can become so powerful in people's lives. If we start to acknowledge like, oh yeah, I'm worried about finances or I've had I, someone just died in my family or you know something traumatic is going on and it's heightening my system. And that's why I'm feeling back tension. That's why my neck is constantly hurting. Like if we can start to acknowledge the things that are happening in life that are probably contributing to some increased stress in my body, that could, you can help identify and relieve your pain just by starting to acknowledge some of these things. And kind of to, to what you were talking about with like people who can take more pain or people who can take more, you know, of that burn when you're at the end of, a, of an exercise. Like I definitely do think that to, to a degree, people who are in that boat, like I love, I love ice baths, you know, I take ice baths three to seven times a week, depending on, on what kind of time I have. Some people dip a toe in an ice bath and it's like, nope, that's the most painful thing that, you know, I've experienced. For me, the ice bath helps me sit in the shit of the pain and use my breath, use my brain to then downregulate some of that pain. And so that's a, that's a concept where someone dipping a hand in an ice bath might send their resting you know, state through the roof and be like, nope, pain, I'm out. For me, I use it to access, you know, there's some fancy neuroscience terminology in here, but there's an area in our brain called the paraaqueductal gray that deals with descending pain inhibition. So when I sit in a cold tub, I'm taking nice, slow, calm breaths. I'm telling myself, we're okay. We're cool. We're going to get out in five minutes and dry off or three minutes and dry off. And my brain starts to go to work. That area in our brain is actually our natural opioid center. So it, it, it sends down our own endogenous opioids into our body to say, okay, just chill out this pain for a second. You're cool. So people who have a high pain threshold or are able to like work through a lot that other people might perceive as painful, they likely have a decent control of that descending pain center, pain inhibition center in their brain to say, hey, we're fine. This is only going to be short lived. We're not in danger. And that's when, when I'm sitting in an ice tub, it's me preparing myself to say, hey, anything I face during the, the rest of the day isn't going to be as shitty as sitting in this ice tub. <laughs> like, I'll be able to handle it. <laughs> yes, that, that recalls to me the Instagram post that you have uh, from before you guys had Dante where you were putting your hands in the ice bath. I think you said that that's like, that's like an exercise to like get ready to like help Jin give birth or like whatever it was. Yeah. That's funny. Dante, um, Dante, now I'm calling you your son's name, Dominique. Good name. I, I have, I have a statement I want to make you correct me if it's wrong. If I am in less stress as a human, an individual outside of physical, less emotional stress, less spiritual stress, mental stress, I am less likely to get injured and therefore I am less likely to experience pain. In most, in most cases, I would say. Mm -hmm. So there's something to be said here about what was mentioned earlier by Dr. Jen 
breathwork, mindfulness, mm -hmm. and these practices that are so important for us to be able to control uh, the shift and the gradient of what we have to experience throughout the day, whether it be uh, inherently positive things or some inherently negative things. If we don't have a plan of attack for the mental, emotional, spiritual foundation being healthy and staying rigid, even when life gets a little bit crazy, that has the propensity to manifest as physical pain or put ourselves in position to have more physical pain. So let's chat about this. Dr. Jin, you brought it up earlier. Breath work. I love breath work. I have chatted many times about my box breathing strategy that like, that's the one that I found that I am like, that's the one that gets me where I need to go yeah. in any capacity. I love journaling. I love mindfulness. I love stillness. People walk around with so much going on up here. Mm -hmm. And they there's oftentimes so much going on that they don't even realize anything's going mm -hmm. on. <laughs> yeah. They just haven't gotten it out. And the filing cabinet is so, you know, yeah. messy. Yeah. So when someone comes to you guys, I know there's not going to be a one size fits all, but someone comes to you guys and you guys re realize this person needs more mindfulness and better coping mechanisms with stress. Dr. Jen, where do you start? So I actually force people to do breath work <laughs> if they're going to follow my plan. I hold them at gunpoint. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but if they're going to come in and Relax. do my... <laughs> Just breathe. <laughs> Just breathe. <laughs> if they're going to come in and do my plans, I already have programmed in days for breath work. And I explain it from a mechanical point of view so that people aren't feeling like this is some woo-woo meditation thing or like anything like that. I, I come at it as we're getting our diaphragm to open up so that we can move our organs, massage our organs. We can reduce our, our stress and tension within our body by, you know, turning on our parasympathetic system and, and getting some down. So I, I talk about it very mechanically in terms of where the rib cage is breathing and how you're feeling and what we need to release and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I do different breath techniques prior to anyone going into a low back plan or prior to anyone going into a neck plan, because these are especially the two areas that people need to down regulate stress. Like it is so huge that we need to first be able to prepare our nervous system before we start doing mobility or movement or anything else. You have to understand this breath stuff. So I, that's the first thing And people might skip it. <laughs> I hope they don't, but it's there. And then also <laughs> programmed within, um, like the low back plans are these like short videos where I'm talking about the science of pain or stress within our body or being able to, what are we focusing on? Are we focusing on all the things we can't do? And that's only increasing our stress or are we focusing on what we can do and what we do have available within our body? Because that quick mindset shift can shift the, what we're feeling throughout the day. So there's little like points that I provide as people go through the programs, especially again, because we're not in person with them. Um, but when we were in person, that was when we let people cry on our tables or release all the crap that they felt like they we're holding in and imprisoning within their bodies because that so much relates to how it, how they're feeling. 
you know, and I remember like working with busy moms who just didn't have time. And it was like, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I have pain and I have time for it. And, and, and I'm like, can you listen to yourself of how elevated you're getting already? Of course you're in pain. We're stressed out and we're trying yes. to prevent it, but it's only going to make it worse and it's going to stiffen up our system. So how do I work with you or do you work with you to start to reduce some of that stress? So, you know, I, <laughs> when we first met too, that was one yeah. of the things we talked about was breath work that we were doing for ourselves and with our clients and you know, we related on this topic so hard because it was like, wait, you're a PT who believes in this too? And, and you do this with your clients yeah. as well? It's so interesting how being a physical therapist who focuses on breath work is seen as like woo-woo or unconventional. Um, I don't even know where to get started or what, if I should get started because breath work is just, it's the, all in, it's the all-encompassing umbrella that you know, supersedes to me any other modality because we are always breathing. <laughs> and in periods that we're mm -hmm. not breathing, we will be breathing short thereafter. And um, breathwork became so important to me because of like one of the darkest times in my life, gotten a very bad car accident, the details of which, you know, will remain off air right now. I mean, I wouldn't mind talking about it, but it's just like, really dark time, lots of implications that came from that car crash and lots of health stuff for me too. I started having post-concussive symptoms after the car crash. I was also a college football athlete, so I had some concussions in football that weren't diagnosed. It was like I got the concussion and I was right into the next play. And it's, it's funny because I was working in a neuro clinic with car accident, you know, patients who had spinal trauma or had head injuries from car accidents themselves. And I couldn't even like remember their names or remember their caretakers' names. And I was seeing these people three, four times a week. And I was having my own post-concussive memory issues. I was starting to have panic attacks and night terrors. And that's when I got very into the cold training, the daily breath work, and the journaling, like you mentioned. And within weeks of myself doing that, I could literally feel my body just start to like relax and let go of some of that trauma. And yeah, that's why breathwork became so important to me and, and being able to give that as a tool to someone else, because it's the one thing that you have control over at any waking moment that can impact every single system of your body. Dominic, that's powerful. I definitely appreciate you sharing that. I was going to ask the genesis of your breathwork. If you don't yeah. mind, I would love to dive into this a little bit further with mm -hmm. What went down? Talk talk to us about the car accident. Um, you know, I was in grad school at the time. I was going from one clinical to another. My hometown was dead center between those two locations. And I had a friend who had a wedding on a Saturday night, went to the wedding. They lived about 15 minutes from my parents. And at the end of the wedding, I was like, okay, I can, I can drive home. I kind of made my rule like... Mm -hmm. I'll stop drinking a couple hours before I leave, drove home. And I don't remember a lot because a lot right around the car accident is, is still dark, you know, fuzzy and, and black for me. But mm -hmm. I think I just fell asleep at the wheel. I flew straight through the end of a, a T going on a county highway and launched my car over a two lane highway going northbound, landed perpendicular on the southbound two lanes 
I remember this, this was my night terror. I remembered hearing a car screech to the, to a stop right, right up against my car. And thank God they didn't hit me. Otherwise that could have been no more Dom, <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, and I remember getting out of the car, looking around, giving a quick scream and having no idea where I was, but I was in the middle of like the, the town I grew up in. So like, that was my first cue that like, yeah, man, I was pretty concussed. And then ambulance showed up and I got taken to the hospital that my dad worked at my whole life. <laughs> One of his partners welcomed me into the emergency room and you know, that was that. That's intense. What was the next steps in terms of, of course, your physical recovery manifested in whatever path that it needed yeah. to manifest in? You were having night tears. I'm not quite familiar with night tears. You just like wake up from a really deep sleep, replaying a trauma that happened. Is that correct? It was so interesting. The first one happened the very first night after the accident. And the next morning, my dad, because <clears throat> they had come and picked me up from the hospital. And he just asked me, he's like, do you remember anything that happened last night? And I'm like, well, I got into a car accident. And he's just like, no, not that. Like sleeping. Like I woke up and I heard you screaming downstairs. And he said, I was like almost curled up in the corner, like just wet with cold sweat. And he just said, he basically held me in the corner of the room and was just like, it's okay. And then I calmed down and I got back to bed. But after that, I, what I remembered whenever I would have a night terror would be that screeching of the car. Um, and then like an ensuing crash as if they hit me. And then I would kind of wake up in a panic with my heart racing, usually sweaty, but so yeah, it was a pretty interesting sensation. Prior to this, I had never had any sort of physical anxiety or panic or anything like that, but it, it was, yeah, it gave me a good insight into what people experience a little bit when they have anxiety or panic attacks or trauma. Yeah. Do you feel like, <clears throat> I had an interesting situation that happened when I was younger. It wasn't near as drastic or dramatic. I was just simply being an idiot. I was a 19 year old kid. I kept drinking and driving and I ended up getting a DUI and at, at 19 years old and yeah. I was a sprinter on the university of Cincinnati track team. And I mean, I got a call like 7am the next morning. They knew that fast yeah. and they're like, get your ass back down here and you're going to have to earn your spot back. And I was like, everything I've worked for, like what an idiot yeah. for me, like that was my life changing event. Um, like my first life changing event that I just took characteristics and traits from that. I was like, you know what? Like, I don't want to be that. I want to be this. And like started working towards that. Do you feel like that accident was the genesis of anything new in your life? Or was right. that just like a one-off, like Dom was being an idiot. No, that was definitely not a one-off. That was kind of the end of my string of Dom was being an idiot, you know, yeah. in my, in my early, early twenties in grad school. And I had all those flashes go through my head. Like I lost my license. I did end up getting a DUI from it down the road. Cause there was all these different legal, you know, that's, that's, that was the other thing, all the legal things I went through for almost two years um, until the resolution where I just ended up fleeing and saying like, give me the DUI, like 
it's fine. I'm over it at this point. I just want to be out of it. Wow, really? You just like threw the that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, because again, yeah. they were they were trying to like I had a lawyer who was trying to like nitpick on these technicalities and I'm like, okay, great. If I can get out of this without a DUI and get some sort of misdemeanor instead, great. But mm -hmm. I had drank and I was driving and shit, like I deserved yeah. it. I could have killed someone. I could have killed myself. Like by all definitions, like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. At the end of the day, it, it was our fault. It, there yeah. was nothing. I, I had a similar situation. I had, you know, this lawyer and, and I appreciate what they do. I couldn't do what they do, but he's like trying to get this thing dropped to something that it wasn't. I was like, dog, I had an open container. I I was under like the legal limit, but like I was under the drinking age. So I still blew like a 0.05 or whatever. And, and I was operating a vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> let's just take it. Like, let's right. just, yeah. let's just move on with life and let's not drag this thing out. Like I'm trying to move on to the next chapter. Well, Dr. Dom, I'm glad that you're here. I appreciate you Man. sharing that with us. Man. There's, I, I told you guys before this podcast started, the average age is uh, mid-20s to late 40s. There's a man listening to this right now who's in his idiot phase. <laughs> take it from me and take it from Dr. Dom. Stop. Don't let, let our experiences be the yeah. genesis of who you want to turn into. So I appreciate that a ton. Now getting a little bit back on track here. Right. So we've learned that Jen is going to hold you at gunpoint with your breath work. <laughs> if you start working with you guys, <laughs> she's going to show up to your house and hold you at gunpoint. Um, no, no, no. no. We, we I wanted to get up. back to, we hired. Oh, we, oh we have hitmen for yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't, we don't <laughs> It's outsourced. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just outsourcing. <laughs> I love that. I, I, I want to get back to a point that um, people who are in pain and Jen, I, I forget the exact quote that you said, but you're talking about someone's internal dialogue mm -hmm. and the mom who comes to you and I have to do this, this and I have to be here and I have to do this and I'm feeling this. And, I'm feeling, and it's so overrun and I'm sure they don't even realize how overrun it is. Mm -hmm. The internal dialogue of people who are in a lot of pain, there's no way it's optimistic, is it? Usually not. I mean, we go to yeah. human nature is to protect ourselves. So we go to, you know, how bad it is and we um, really internalize and, and make it bigger than it is. And that's what makes mm -hmm. it so sad. And sometimes that comes from other clinicians like, Oh, well, my doctor said this was the worst MRI they've ever seen or this. I, I you know, I'm having this pain. My back is broken. And like it, real quick, it real quick, real quick. Why the fuck would you ever say that? to? <laughs> I, I, I get people that come to me, too. My doctor said this is the worst blood work I've ever seen. Why would you ever even if it is? Why would you ever say that to somebody? And I don't know. Based I don't on mean to cut time, you off. I just had to put that out there. Based I agree. On how many times like everyone in our profession, in the health and wellness or medical profession in general, has someone come into their office that says that like that must be just like a ready made line that doctors <laughs> are ready to walk in with. Well, I don't know. Yeah. It's totally and then they just cool. upsell you from there. Now pay me 10 G's and I'll fix it. Hey, exactly. I'm exactly. It's based marketing. It's and what I feel is that mm -hmm. we're, we're creating more fragile individuals because then you get afraid to move. You get afraid. Oh, don't lift over 10 pounds anymore. Don't do this. Don't do that. We get told all these don't do's or uh, it hurts to lift something. Don't do that. It hurts to bend your knees. Don't do that. Like we're creating. 
all we're doing is creating more fragile individuals who are then only going to fall, get hurt, and and end up in pain and disability. It's it's the saddest thing to me to go down that road, you know, of what what we internalize and what we make and make up in our mind, mostly because of what we're told from other clinicians, and unfortunately, and and so it it really is this battle of working back from that and making someone see it themselves. So sometimes, you know, it's oh well, I didn't have as much pain, you know, when I was on vacation, but then I came back to work and I and I got some pain again. It's like okay, what do you think was different from being on vacation to being back to work, like? Were you still sitting? Were you still lifting? Were you still doing these things? Like, oh yeah, I think I had to lift my bag up here or I think I had to sit on a plane for a while. Like, okay, well, if sitting in a in a seat at or at your desk was painful, but sitting on a plane to go to a vacation wasn't painful, then sitting isn't bad, right? It's, it's the circumstance then, and maybe we can change what we're feeling in that circumstance. So getting someone else to say the things that they're acknowledging within their body or, or acknowledging, oh, I didn't have pain in this instance, but I did have pain in this, this instance, it kind of helps so that we stop saying bending down and getting something is bad. Sitting for long periods of time is bad. This, you know, bending over is bad. If I can help them to see if you didn't have pain here, but you had pain here, this isn't bad. It's just how we're doing it or, or what the circumstances or what our environment is that we can change a little bit so you feel something different. And that that's ultimately my goal with someone is to have them come up, you know, with the solution and the answer themselves. A small aside, I've come around to this belief system again I'm an optimistic, delusional individual. <laughs> Nothing is inherently good or bad. Every single thing that is happening is just another take on the life experience in the way that we take it, consume it, and then digest it, how we store it in our information box is what perceives it to be for good utilization or bad utilization. I've been accused of being lacking empathy for this, I actually think it would be the opposite. Okay. Let's say, let's say your girlfriend breaks up with you. I'm really, really sorry to hear that. That sounds really difficult and tough. And I know that that's hard to deal with yet. Isn't there something that this is going to lead you to now? Isn't there something you can learn from this? And so we're being told like, you have back pain, stop deadlifting. Mm -hmm. And the person has a doctor next to their <clears throat> name. Could there be a time and a place of applicability for this? Sure, there could be. The reality is once we stop doing the thing that hurts the most, we stop training that movement pattern in our body, period. Oftentimes I find in my profession, I'm sure you guys do as well, there's just a lot of muscular imbalances that people have. Mm -hmm. And so when we get a stronger back, it's fascinating because your lats are stronger, your traps are stronger, your teres is stronger, everything in your back is stronger, and all of a sudden you don't have back pain. Mm -hmm. Or it could be glutes and hamstrings and quads all got stronger and now all of a sudden you don't have back pain. I don't believe anything's inherently good or bad. It's just an experience that we have to take, internalize, digest, and then store. That being said, Dr. Jin, 
I understand all the laws, the HIPAA, the stuff like that. Can you give me what the actual worst case you've ever seen is? Worst case? I feel like Dom Like, has is a, there someone that just couldn't move? Dom actually has a better example of that when he oh, was working in the it. hospital. Yeah, I was working in the hospital and in the short stint that I did in the traditional medical system. Um, yeah. And I was walking into this room and I've kind of done like the medical whatever review on this guy. I was walking in the room and the occupational therapist is coming out and they just kind of like have their hands up in the air like, good luck, like. He's not going to do anything. And that's, I, I like those rooms. I liked going into those rooms in the hospitals, like the ones that were seen as the trouble patients. Because in reality, they normally just had some sort of story. They had some sort of other, you know, diagnoses or even psychological things at play that other providers just didn't want to deal with them because they took too much time. They wouldn't do what I needed them to do so that I could go to the computer and document my shit and get into the next patient's room. <laughs> and that's just not how I like to mm -hmm. operate. Um, so I walk into this guy's room. He had gotten in a snowmobile accident. He had a broken collarbone, had about 12 fractures in his pelvis, and was just bruised the shit up. He had bruises in his ribs from going into the handlebars, but in rough shape. And he's this guy's like writhing in pain just when I walk into the room. And, you know, even trouble, like has having trouble talking to me because like he's short of breath, his ribs hurt, everything. Um, and, I, and I start digging in with him a little bit. And he's like, I'm in so much pain, doc. And the nurses tell me that there's nothing they can do for me because I'm not taking any pain medication because I'm a former heroin addict. He's like, you know, I'm a heroin addict. And they keep telling me all we can do is give you oxy. You know, all we can do is give you morphine. And he's just like, there's not a chance I'm letting you put an opiate in my line. I'm a heroin addict. <laughs> like, what are you, what are you talking about? And that pissed me off a little bit because I've lost family members, my mom's side of the family. Every man on the mom's my mom's side of the family has had drug or alcohol issues and lost their. In some cases, they've lost their lives in relation to their addictions. And so that pissed me off because I'm like. Hey, I know something that can help with our pain, breathing. <laughs> and this is when I'm in the pits of like doing my most breath work because I'm still working on my brain health. And this is like even three years after my accident, two, two, three years after my accident. And I said, let's just try something. It might seem crazy, but and I got him into a fairly intense, you know, breath practice. His ribs were a little sore when we started doing the breathing, but I said, let's just stick with it. We did about three minutes of real intense breathing. And then I had him do a breath hold. And this, this was me trying to access that area in the brain that I talked about earlier. That's going to help with mm -hmm. descending pain inhibition. And we got done with the paraaqueductal. Paraaqueductal grid. Yeah. You're, you're pretty close. Oh, so close. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Um, and he kind of opened his eyes and I'm like, how do you feel? And just laying there, he's just like, I don't feel anything. And I saw this little flicker in his eyes. He was like, I don't feel anything right now. I like, all right, we're going to do that again. And at the very end of it, we're just going to sit up to the edge of the bed, did the breath, got him sitting to the edge of the bed. He was uncomfortable. He was still having some pain, but not near the levels as when I walked in and he was laying there. And I'm like, that's fantastic, dude. Like we're good there. You know, like I'm happy with what I've seen already. He's just like, no, I want to stand up, <laughs> you know? And he's now motivated because I showed him the tool that he could use to make the change 
that nobody else, and just like the sense of empowerment I got from this guy. And yeah, we did the breath one more time. He kind of stood to the edge of the bed, shuffled his feet back and forth. Again, uncomfortable because the guy's got 12 cracks in his pelvis, but lays back down, gets back in bed. And yeah, he, this was in a relatively small community. He came in later in the outpatient clinic, which I also saw people in the outpatient clinic there after he'd been released from the hospital. And he comes like waltzing in. He's like, Dr. Dom, I saw that you were on my schedule. And just the gratitude that he had for the breath practice. He's like, I do that breath stuff every day. He's just like, this this is something I'm going to do the rest of my life. It's incredible. And I don't know. I've always held that one close to my heart because I'm like, this guy who had a dozen plus fractures in multiple areas of his body saw the most profound change from it. And I know it can work for most people if they give it a shot. It's safe to hate, safe to say he had some costochondritis, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm basically a PT. Basically. <laughs> I've learned, I've learned, I've learned two terms today <laughs> that I'm just going to apply to everybody. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a, that's a very, that's, that's a powerful story. Yeah. And it's what that, you know, it's funny, something I love about this podcast as it's grown, um, I, again, another aside, um, I, I enjoy the chemistry you two have, by the way, it's very strong. And I want to get into your guys' like <laughs> genesis of how y'all met. Um, what I love about this podcast is there's people that'll listen to this. It'll get downloaded by 15, 20,000 people over the next month or so. And they're gonna be like, oh, the breath stuff that didn't that didn't help that guy like something else did, and then they'll listen to some of your guys's work. Or they'll tune in on Instagram. But we're going to keep talking about breath work, and in another month or so after they hear this podcast, they're going to start doing it, and it's they're going to do it. They're going to be like, oh. Oh, that wasn't too bad. And they'll do it again. It's going to be even better. And you just never know who it's going to reach. That's going to be that person that this yeah. was the genesis of them being able to have healthy coping mechanisms for things like pain or stress, so on and so forth. Uh, Dr. Dom, you said with an interesting tone in your voice, the traditional medical system. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I did. Let's elaborate <laughs> some thoughts on that because I have some too. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, it's a beast. And I don't think there's, I don't know, I, it's not a secret that there are many professionals out there that are disappointed with how, with how our medical system and healthcare system operates. You know, you hear a lot of people talk about it as the sick care system, which I absolutely agree with that term. We wait for people to get sick so that we can then heal them, but not truly heal them, just bring them back into acceptable levels. We're not even just waiting. We're promoting it. Yeah. Look at the foods. I mean, look at the food quality. For sure. For sure. We're, we're promoting people to be sick. Mm-hmm. Totally. And like how, how when you go to HEB down here, that's our biggest grocery store. And I'm not going to be a conspiracy theorist at all. You can literally go to HEB and see it. How you go to HEB and your bread has 30 ingredients? Yeah. Fuck me. Bread's like six ingredients. How's it got 30 ingredients? How are you going to go pick up chicken that's made from behind the deli and it has more ingredients than chicken? It's just chicken. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. 
but people people struggle to conceptualize <clears throat> the fact that there's there's an entire like system built out that's profiting yeah. a shit ton from this yeah. and they hate hearing that they're stuck in this little tiny manner that's supposed to keep them on the straight and narrow it disgusts me it makes no sense to me and people call it people claim conspiracy or they say oh that's a conspiracy like dude no it's it's the facts it's it's the policies that are laid forward all the way from the governing level that subsidize mm-hmm certain paths of food creation that allow mm-hmm. us to create all these convenience foods or foods that have the thousands of ingredients that aren't made, you know, for the best quality that are hyper palatable and high calorie um, and all these things so that they are significantly cheaper, even though the cost of creating them is generally significantly greater than growing mm-hmm. vegetables. And then you go and try to buy vegetables or tell people that they need to eat these organic, healthy, whatever. Uh, and again, I don't like promoting good and bad foods. Like I like to have a pint of ice cream every, you know, fuck. Yeah, for sure. A few times a week, if I'm being honest, but like, you know, so I'm not in the good and bad food boat, but I'm in the boat of like, how do we start to incentivize people to make better food choices that are going to satiate them. And, and that permeates multiple different industries we've got the food industry we've got the medicine industry we've got the the wellness and you know proactive health industry which isn't subsidized in any way which isn't covered by the majority of insurances so it's not a conspiracy it's the it's the reality we have made it much more expensive to try and be proactive about our health in our country versus doing the convenient thing and 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 living back in that reactive space I think a difficult part is I'm not sure how much access you guys have to them. We have a ton here in Austin. And yeah, I'm, Dr. Do- I'm like you. I get I get myself one Ben and Jerry's a week and I had it last night. And like, you know, like I felt great when it was going down. And then, you know, you wake up in the morning. It's like, yeah, like yeah. I probably could have done without that. <laughs> but a farmer's market is kind of the only place you can go to get like real food that doesn't have the crap going on with it. That's just not accessible for everybody. You also look at the price point and like, it's not like it's a competitive price point to HEB or the other large grocers. And, but it's hard because this ties directly into what you guys do with pain work and exactly what I do, which whatever the fuck it is that I do. Um, (laughs) These foods are driving gut dysbiosis. It's driving inflammation in the body. It's driving a a mess with mental operation component. And then we're over here like, yeah, do your breath work. (laughs) Yet we're consuming foods that are causing gut dysbiosis that's sending neurotransmitters that are effed from the time they're originating in our body up to our brain. And like the breath work really do so much because we're taking in two pounds of plastic a year from the foods that we don't even realize have plastic in them. And like, it's, I, everyone loves to say conspiracy theory, but you can literally walk to the grocery store. You can pick up anything and look at the ingredients list. And like, if you can't, if you can't pronounce what is going into your foods. I'm just not so sure like how good it is, you know, to an extent, of course, there's like fancy words for like salt, right? But like to an extent, I'm just not sure how much you can really trust it. I like shopping at Trader Joe's because like at least they don't let dyes in there. And like, 
I, I'm just, I don't know why there's dyes in our food. <laughs> I'm just so confused why these are things. Is it things. pretty? But because it makes it pretty. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, because because we're we're just speeding up the process of everything, so we can nail the flavor in a month when it's supposed to take six months. Now we just add some food dye to it, and boom, you have ADHD. <laughs> it's unbelievable how it works. Um, getting back on track. <laughs> another aside. I want to chat about um, Dr. Jin made a post. I don't believe it was recent. Um, I got lost in all of Dante's content when I was going through guys' Instagram the last couple of days. Um, the mind muscle connection from your guys's perspective, I work with folks who generally have some sort of understanding. They've been training for a year, two years minimum, and some people like 10, 15 years. So like they don't need to learn it. Mind-muscle connection, we all know what it is. From a PT standpoint, how can we train the mind-muscle connection without having someone physically there in person to like help us out or like tap it? You guys know that that method where you like tap the muscle? I, I, I think there's probably something to be said about that. I've never done it. How do you guys help people understand just be present here up in the brain while being present here in your actual physical body? You know, well, first of all, I like to say, you know, acknowledging a mind-muscle connection doesn't mean that a muscle is not firing or isn't, is a, has amnesia. Like I think gluteal amnesia is something that got thrown around a lot. And I would get patients who said like, oh, my doctor or my clinician, whoever I saw prior said that my glutes just don't fire. And I said, that's not true you're upright, you're walking. So your glutes are firing. You just don't feel yeah. it. Right. And there might be some other muscles that are, that you're feeling primarily so that we need to start to work the other muscles, but it doesn't mean that they're asleep or they're just not working. So I like to say that first, because there's like mm -hmm. that misconception. And we, again, then internalize things in our head based on what we've been told. So in order to start to feel things, touch is something that's so powerful. And that's where I think rolling, foam rolling, using balls can be so beneficial. So if you were to take, so I, we like using the, the therapy balls from Tune Up Fitness because they have a little bit of give for the body. And if you keep them in the tote, so it's like two balls, I mean, you can use two tennis balls too, and you kind of roll on the side of your glute a little bit, and then you try like, walking side steps with a therapy band, you probably will feel your glute connection a little bit more because now we put some mm -hmm. tension and touch and pressure into the area to start to stimulate the brain. And now we're going to activate it. So you start to feel those muscles working just a little bit more. So there is carryover with touch and doing that, or you do, or like, and this is why within my, our plans and programs, I do full video because I am exhaustingly talking it through. <laughs> like, I don't want it to just be a GIF or a quick video or PDF. Like, I want you to hear what I'm saying so you can set your body up in a way that you might not have before so you can feel something different. And that's like my goal for everyone is to start to do something different so you feel something different. And that's like, that's how you can get better into that mind-body connection. If you keep doing the same thing over and over again and say, I just can't feel my glutes, well, then we probably need to switch up how you're doing it so that you can start to fill your glutes again. And I'll, I'll say just to like f fluff Jen's ego up a little bit more, like 
the way that she explains <laughs> things and like the reason that she has become so popular is because the way that she explains things, the cueing she gives, it just helps people get it. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like it helps the people who come to our programs after 20 years of going to different providers. And then they, they finally say like, wow, I've never had someone explain doing a lunge or a step up to me that way. And I can actually feel my glute and my knee doesn't hurt and all the, all these other things. And so Jen's just got a gift when it comes to that. Yeah, I can attest to that since following you guys on Instagram, I have definitely noticed, I mean, Dr. Dom to you as well. I think both of you guys do a great job communicating with your audience and breaking things down from a really high level of understanding to a place where like a fifth grader could understand it. And there's something to be said about marketing online that everything you say a fifth grader should probably be able to understand, or, you know, maybe not everything, but like a fifth grader should be able to understand like a fifth grader could watch Dr. Jen's Instagram and like get it and, and understand. I think you guys both do a really, really good job there. Um, I just played it. Yeah. It's, it's quite impressive. <laughs> But just steal it. Yeah, I just steal all her stuff. That's probably the reason my my, yeah, my, right. my yeah, I'm gonna start stealing all your stuff. So now we just gotta hold shade reaction. I'm a PT. Remember, yeah, I learned yeah, two yeah. terms today. I don't remember either of them now. But I mean, that's all that like 90 of people on Instagram do anyway. They just do other people's content. just stealing content. I'm saying I started doing. I can't wait to see when it starts happening. By the time this podcast drops, other people are going to start doing it. I started doing client transformation posts with a green screen and going through like a bunch of different trans um, yeah. periods of our transformation. I'd never seen, I've never seen this done. And yeah. by the time this podcast drops, it's going to be everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but you know what? I would rather be the innovator mm -hmm. than the ones who are constantly being in influenced, like way behind, like at the caboose of the, of the train. Um, real quick from the both of you, and then I want to get into to a more personal story. Dr. Jin, client comes to you. Number one pain point that they come to you with, this hurts really bad. I'm going to have to go with low back. Low back is like the number one thing that people are complaining about and don't know what to do. And statistically, that Why? stands up. <laughs> oh, really? For, for, it's the same for you, Dom? Well, I, yeah, I'd say it's the same for me. And just statistically, it's like between 80 and 90% of people will experience debilitating back pain at some, point, at in some point in their life. And so it's just such a high percentage of people. It's such a vital area in our body that is, you know, it, it's responsible for the energy transfer from our lower body through our core into our upper body. It's such a complex dynamic area with our interplay of our core and our ribs and our breath and our pelvic floor and our diaphragm and like yeah there's just a lot going on there so I, it, it, there's no surprise that that, that place sense. becomes vulnerable for for injury or pain for the first time in my life um about three months ago i i had 
debilitating lower back pain. It was after a massive deadlift session. It went like 635 for four or five or something. In the last two reps, I shouldn't have done. Like, I knew I shouldn't have done them. But I was like, well, I can. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? That was kind of the genesis of the end of my bodybuilding uh, phase. I was like 284. My back pain was just so Dude, I, I mean, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't get out of bed. To get out of bed, I rolled off my bed. I have a, um, I have like a, like a big canopy bed that's like decently high off the ground, maybe like three and a half feet off the ground. Yeah. To get out of you guys, to get out of bed every morning, I sleep on the right side, and I would throw my body on the ground because I couldn't lift my legs through my abdominals to so oh it would God. hurt too bad. So I caught myself then on my right shoulder, and I would stand up from the ground because it was easier to drive my knee up like to, towards my chest and then get, I, dude, I'm just like doing this. And I'm like, this isn't normal. <laughs> and I mean, I'm doing everything I could possibly do to alleviate the pain. I have an unbelievable chiropractor massage. I'm doing the PT work. I'm getting the dry needling. Like when something happens, I'm on it. I was like, I'm done. Like I'm done with this. This is, I was coming in to record a podcast. I'm speaking to a guest and like my back is just on fire. So I can resonate with people Mm -hmm. who have that back pain. And for me to you guys, I appreciate the folks like you guys who your life is dedicated to relieving that from people. The last topic, Jen, you had an intense pregnancy. (laughs) That was, that was, that was intense. We had a surprise C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's a lot of moms that listen to this podcast. There's a lot of young women who are starting the next phase in their life who listens to this podcast. I think it could be helpful for them to just have a word of advice from someone who they're going to be looking up to after this episode drops, if they aren't already. What happened there? Um, I wish I could really say for sure, because <laughs> anyone who mm-hmm. watches my stuff, they're like, oh, the most mobile, strongest, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I wish I could know for sure. I I labored at home for 26 hours. Because um, you were planning on having a home birth. We you know, yeah. had the tub in the room and everything. And uh, it, mm. I never went, I never got, I got to five centimeters. I never got to six fully. And so for about 14 hours, I was stuck in that five to six centimeter range, broke the water, did all the things, tried like my contractions would get to the point where they were a minute apart, lasting a minute to two, super intense and nothing would change. So we decided, you know, to go to the hospital, tried an epidural three hours, still no change. Um, and so, and based on his heart rate, just kind of like starting to dip, we decided, you know, it was probably the smartest choice to get the C-section and, you know, some things, I think the greatest lesson, my greatest lesson in life in general is continuously letting go of control. Like I don't have control of anything. And so I just have to let be and go with. And that is the lesson of pregnancy. That's a lesson of birth is just, you can go in with as prepared and knowledgeable as possible. And that's what I recommend doing, like be knowledgeable because even when I got to the hospital, I was able to ask for what I wanted. I was able to turn down a doctor because they were not even talking to me. Um, And so I think having knowledge was super helpful and allowed me to feel empowered, even though I went into a C-section and that was not my ideal birth, but it was, it, I still felt okay doing it because I knew what was happening as the steps were going along. So I feel like knowledge 
is so empowering, um, but letting go and allowing what needs to happen that's out of your control is also extremely powerful. And I will also say the one thing that I feel like has helped me immensely the most is the fact that I started preparing for birth or pregnancy prior to being pregnant. I've been working out for years. And so being strong, going into pregnancy, maintaining that strength during pregnancy allowed me to have a better healing journey, allowed me to feel okay during the C-section. Yes, I still needed support and everything for the first couple of weeks, but it just... Being strong within your body is something so invaluable. So I, I think that's everything. Okay, so the next question is going to be people like, well, you're a doctor. Of course you're knowledgeable. How could someone obtain knowledge to be able to go into a hospital and be their own advocate as fiercely as possible. Do you have resources? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes, I'm a doctor of physical therapy, but not of, you know, OB and, and birth. So I took um, a childbirth course. Um, I, I listened to a webinar on like the mechanics of birth because that's my brain that likes to listen to that. Um, I... I also would listen to evidence, I think it was EBB podcast, so evidence-based birth podcast. And that was just like, a, like just objectively a lot of the evidence around some of the interventions so that you have better knowledge and understanding as if a doctor is saying, we need to do this, what does that mean? And what are the statistics on it? And, and could I ask for something different? Um, so I felt empowered with knowledge just by listening to some podcasts, taking courses, um, there are so, what's amazing about the world that we live in and with everything being online is that you have the availability to resources and tools. You don't have to look at the research yourself. You can listen to other people talk about it. <laughs> you know, there's so much out there that's available that allows us to have the knowledge and feel empowered to take control right. of our, of our journey as much as we can. And the course that that she took was great. You know, there was portions that she for sure wanted me to listen in on, especially since we were planning on doing the home birth. There was a lot of hands-on techniques that I could do to assist with the pressures that even if you're not doing a home birth, just like having someone who knows mm -hmm. if your partner or your husband or whoever knows those techniques to help relieve pressure. But I loved how they took you through creating your birth plan because you have your most optimal like plan A, but then they encourage you to write out what the plan looks like if it changes in every stage, all the way to like emergencies happening, what do we do? You know, so we got to about plan E on our chart, but we knew what to expect. And because we had that plan in mind, like we knew the questions to ask and still what we wanted to do, because many people might get to that point. And when plan A has failed, it's like all bets are off. Do whatever you want to me to get this baby out. Like, no, you still have a say and you still have the ability to be an advocate for yourself as the as the mom giving birth or advocate for your partner as the husband or other person in the room. You know, I continually chat about, hey, don't make a plan B because then you have a backup plan to plan A that, well, you can just fail here and go that way. But in this case, I would definitely say <laughs> yeah. let's extend it out to plan E. Um, so that's what I've learned from this podcast today. I also just learned there's an entire podcast dedicated to like just giving birth. Uh-huh. There's a few of them. There's a lot of them. <laughs> 
There's someone in my building, dude, there's someone in my building that runs a Simpsons podcast. And what they do is they go through every single episode of the Simpsons and they just talk about what happened in the episode. And it's massive. It's so funny. (laughs) Why? Why are we here? We could just be talking about Grey's Anatomy. I would do friends. On on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we can do friends. <laughs> well, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know if the twenty-four-year-olds know what friends is anymore. <laughs> I know exactly. Right? <laughs> Unfortunately. Unfortunately, we can do Desperate Housewives. <laughs> Dude, it reminds. Okay, me of, so go ahead. I was going to say it reminds me of like those like Facebook reaction videos where there's someone like down in the corner, and some of them they're just like sitting there. They don't. They don't hardly do anything, and the video has like ten million views. <laughs> And I'm like, this is a reaction video. You hardly said or did anything. It's just like people watching the actual video itself. So I don't know. Like there was no reaction that happened. There was a psychology um, page or maybe email that I I recently got that said um, social media, people who partake in social media are coming around to want to watch their favorite influencer simply react to other videos rather than the influencer innovate new content. And I was like, what? You're going to sit to me. It's as weird to me as like the Twitch streamers. Like you're sitting there watching someone else play video game. You're not even playing the video game. You're yeah. watching other people play. I I, I don't understand it personally. Yeah. Like I have ignorance to it, but like, man, I just like, I just don't do that. <laughs> for, for people who play video games, it must be like you watching a bodybuilding competition or me watching like, Football, like I love football. I love watching the NFL. Not going to apologize about you're, it. You know, <laughs> you're very right. You're very. I recorded this piece of content recently, Dominic. You're going to love when you see it. Um, I recorded this piece of content. I was like, okay. So you're broke, but you got a favorite NFL team. <laughs> and I was like, you're broke, but every Sunday, like you watch football for 10 hours. Of course, that doesn't apply here to us. But let me tell you, when um, when I was broke, I was definitely watching more football than I ever have at any other time in my life. And I'm like you, it's just, it's going to be my guilty pleasure forever. Uh, Sunday night, it's just oh, yeah. what I do. I don't even, if I don't even like the teams playing, I just feel at home tossing the game on, letting it do its thing, and I waste a couple hours watching I'll go, it. I'll just I, go and sign up for the random like Fubo or whatever subscriptions to get the free week so I can watch so I can watch a weekend of games. Like <laughs> I'm not shameless, dude. Who's your team? The Patriots. Uh, okay, you're in a little bit of a rough stretch, but you deserve it. So I grew up a Colts fan. I grew up a diehard Colts fan. And yeah. so you guys, when you were cheering, I was crying. And so I just want you to know from younger Justin that this is what you get. This is what you deserve. <laughs> I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Yeah. Well, listen, you guys are absolutely phenomenal. It's super clear through the podcast, the chemistry that y'all have together. And and I love being able to see that in you guys. What's next for Dr. Jen and Dr. Dom? What's coming? Another baby. No, I'm just kidding. 
You know? <laughs> you heard it here first. She's pregnant. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> no. just found out. <laughs> no, um, I mean, we're just really trying to figure out how we can reach more people and get them help within their bodies of getting out of pain and knowing that they have the tools and the solutions within their own hands and not having to always rely on someone else. And, you know, when you just start to learn and do something different, you can, there's massive impact that you can start to create in your life and in your body. So that's like our, our main goal and continuing with our podcast, continuing with our gen health platform and, and maybe in the future, continuing with another baby. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure the nearer future than, than we might think. But um, yeah, just like we've been working on developing this Gen Health platform that we have over the past two years and continuing to try and impact more people. Like you said, it's like one, one person hears one thing today that in a month they take action on that in a year they are noticing profound differences in their body on. It's much different than the way we worked with people when we saw them in person celebrating wins virtually and through email with people is a lot different, but it's equally as rewarding. And we aim to impact as many people as we can in empowering them to feel independent in the ability to do the daily maintenance they need to on their body. So yeah, that's really where a lot of our focus is. Grower Die fam, Dr. Jin, Dr. Dom, Check the show notes. Please tag them when you share this podcast. Follow them and support them on Instagram. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate you.